1: Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time. I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden, where I have a really cool guest on this time, um, someone who has been living and working in a communist socialist nation. And I'm looking forward to just talking with him, especially as we look at the elections that are taking place. In America, for those that are listening to this podcast from America, uh, and what that might mean for believers around the world, and how Christians should pray. Christopher, great to have you on. Are you there, brother?
0: Yeah, I'm here. It's great to be here. Thanks for being part of what you're doing. Yes.
1: Thanks for joining us. Um, Just for our audience, would you just spend the next couple of minutes and just introduce yourself a little bit?
0: Um, Well. I uh, currently am in the US. Um, I am a, an educator, a teacher. Um Actually, I don't mind saying, but I'm I'm in China. Uh, was in China until recently, <clears throat> and been living in China for nearly ten years. Uh, working within the Chinese education system, and my my wife and I, we are involved in a lot of different aspects of, of culture and and things that we do of that nature. Um, just really enjoying uh, educating children and bringing a different viewpoint uh, from. West and and uh, really kind of helping kids to to get a uh, better feel for what life is like uh, should they go into the Western um, uh, university setting uh, from, from their own experience in China.
1: So I know that um. You're, a little bit. Of, yeah. So you're involved in education. When when you say education, is this like primary, secondary? Is this is this university level?
0: Yeah, yeah. right now I'm in primary and um, middle school uh, and high school. That's where I've, I've been teaching now for five years. I started out in primary and middle and uh, do a little bit of uh, classes, one or two classes in high school. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. So I do have an opportunity here recently to actually move into the university setting, but... As we all know, the current situation in China is not allowing that because of what's happening with the with the with the coronavirus and and so everything has been locked down and and uh, nobody's opening up the school. So yeah, it's kind of pushed that back, but eager to get back into the classroom, you know
1: yeah, what was what was that like being in China, where you were at when the coronavirus first started you know breaking out? Um, you know, with the circulation of, or the lack of circulation of news in some, in some places, uh, what was, what was that like, you know, trying to get information, finding out, you know, what to do, where to go. Um, yeah. Can you just share a little bit about that with us?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the, the best way I can, I've had a lot of people ask me that, what was it like, uh. Being in China, when the news began to trickle out slowly uh, of what was happening in Wuhan and the overall Hubei uh, province, it was very surreal. the, The best... It's like every... Every end-of-the-world movie or a zombie movie that you can think of, it was very identical, um, very surreal. When before, before the information and before the news really came to the forefront, uh, my wife and I, we had went to the supermarket. And I had just went to the bank and, and got some money out because I thought, my wife and I, we, we thought, well, we may, need, we may need some cash on hand if this really gets serious, and keep in mind that there was the government at that time was not stressing that there was a problem. They were They were calling the mystery virus, and it was just centrally located in Wuhan. But more and more uh, news began to spread out that. It was happening in other areas throughout China. Uh, We live in a certain province and in that certain province it was becoming more and more common and we realized hey there's something really going on here so of course I've got my trusted VPN and so I would keep um, you know I would keep updated with the with the western news um, and actually out of Taiwan and Hong Kong but mainly Taiwan news and we, re- we understood that there was something serious. Uh, for two days, people were not wearing masks. Everything was normal, but it was after that second day, I started when I would do my regular walk around our community, our neighborhood. I was beginning to see children wearing masks, old people wearing masks, couples wearing masks, and it made me think, "Hey, there's something happening here. There's something. They're taking it serious this time." But when we went to Walmart, um, it was very interesting. We start we we begin to see limitations on meat, uh, limitations on fresh vegetables. And it was at that moment that my wife, and of course she's Chinese, and, and so we, she was kind of worried about what's going to happen in the future, if this is going to break out. And sure enough, <clears throat> our government, the, the U.S. government, was recommending that Americans leave China. And that's very hard, and that was very difficult for us uh, to, to make that decision, um, and then my wife just said, you know, I think that we need to, to leave. And, of course, she's able to go with me back to the U.S. And it was in that process of leaving that was when we made the final commitment to move, to get out, um, we began to see the clampdown begin to take place. It, was, it happened very fast. The one thing I can, I can say about China they are able, the Chinese government are able to clamp down on, on every city, uh, every countryside, every rural area within minutes. It's, it's amazing how fast they can do that. Uh, actually, when we were boarding the fast train to another location, to another city to, to fly out, um they were locking down the the train stations we were one of the last few trains that was permitted to leave and it was happening that quick um when we got to one to our major uh, particular city that we flew out of um we saw what was surreal to me there was no one in this area and this is a top one this is a tier one city and there was nobody on the streets, and that's, that was reality. And then we saw soldiers with hazmat suits carrying machine guns. They had barricaded, barbed wire barricaded the entrance to this major city. And, and we're, of course, we're in, a, we're in a taxi, and the hotel provided for us. The hotel is a, is a Western hotel. They had a very small amount of people working. They checked us, our health when we went in, monitoring us, and it was it was it was surreal. It was very surreal. Um, but yeah, as we fled, as we, I don't want to say fled, but as we left China through through the international airport in this one area, this one city, it, it was they were they were getting everybody out. And you could see you could see the worry, you could see, actually see the concern that the locals had that they, they just did not know. Actually, the hotel, um, Hilton, that we're, where we were staying, has uh, officially closed now in China. They have closed 350 sto- uh, hotels throughout China. That one particular where we stayed is now closed. So there is nothing now open in that regard. So it was very surreal, seeing this with my own eyes, and this is a new one for me and i've been in different places parts of the world from africa to india i understand um dilemmas and, and epidemics and and um, you know government takeovers when it comes to a war type of scenario but this was completely new to us and and definitely it was a new situation
1: yeah i've i've you know, been living and working in China for the last 20 years. And, uh, I remember when my youngest, when my wife was pregnant with our youngest, um, and SARS broke out, it was, it had the same kind of feeling. One of the recommendations that I give to all of the missionaries that work together with us is that always have two routes of, uh, escape. Um, and <clears throat> if you get down to one leave. So if you still got two, Hang around. You don't have to worry about it if you got kids. So when um, our all of our routes in China started to close up, I I um, uh, arranged for my wife and my youngest son to leave uh, just so that they can kind of be out of that environment. I think that we would be fine if we stayed, but. Um, supplies were getting low in the area, flights were getting few, and there was no reason for us to stay just because all of the evangelists that I work with are basically on lockdown, um, all of, and and they have to be on lockdown because now there's guards standing outside of the housing areas, making sure that if you don't live there, you don't come in. Um, yeah. And many of the evangelists that we support live in Western China, but that's not where they're from. They're from Eastern China. So on because of the system inside of China, your ID card actually says where, what your job is and where you are supposed to be living. Your hukou. And so this, this hukou actually controls kind of the migration. That's why you have so many illegal migrant workers, you know, living in cities like Shenzhen or Beijing or Shanghai, but their kids can't come with them because they don't have the local hukou to get them into the school of that area. So our friends, you know, they say, hey, if we leave our house and people guards are checking at the door, To make sure that, you know, people that don't live there can't get in. If they see that we're not even supposed to be living in the city, they may not let us back home to go back home. So uh, that has been just one of the big challenges that, I mean, we can definitely see the same thing that you have. One of the things that I have been interested with as, you know, as you've been sharing in this system that we see, you were talking about China's ability to act really fast. One of the reasons why they're able to act really fast is that they don't really need the consent of the people. So if the government decides we are going to isolate this city, we're going to cut off 10 million people, 12 million people from the rest of the world, um, they can do that without any consent whatsoever. And so I just, I found that interesting because, you know, in a, a society that is uh, is either a, a democratic society or one that is a representative society, um, you don't necessarily have those freedoms to declare a martial law type of activity unless there is something that you know would would call for that. Uh, when you are in China, <clears throat> you have seen the good parts and the bad parts. I would assume of a system like. Uh, the Chinese government, one that is built off of, uh, the, uh, either the communist party or, or a, a socialistic type of thinking. Um, I've heard you teach about this. What are some of your thoughts? Can you tell me a little bit about, um, your feelings about this government being able to react so fast? What is the plus and what are, what are, what are the benefits and what are the, what are, what are the downsides?
0: yeah I, you know it's i call it the good the bad the ugly um i've seen all of it in in that regard and and um you know whenever we're looking at the differences between a an open society and a closed society um one that's democratic and one that's authoritarian um there is no basic the, the one thing that I, that i've noticed with china and, and let me just let me just say this on the outset, I love China. I love the I love the people of China. Um, I think and I enjoy China. My wife, she she kind of tells me like you really like China in, in a major way and I'm like, yeah, I've got a heart for China. But I also see what happens when a centralized government, does not put the value or the life of the people ahead of its ideology. And that is where the danger is. I mean, when you look at the UK, when you look at Europe, when you look at uh, the United States, obviously, when you look at Canada, you know, it, that co- their constitution, that constitution is a, is of the people for the people by the people but that is not how china is developed that's not how china is to, uh, never has been since 19 what, 1949 when mao you know came to power um, it the consensus was for an ideology and central form of government and it's the government and its leadership who who maintains who maintains control and and that in some ways I see it's kind of a strange kind of strange romance here that you have an ideology and it, and it seems to, to protect the people, but yet it's, it's like, I kind of vision it as an abusive relationship, um, where the people are being abused by the relationship that they're in and they're not in control of that relationship. Um, it's, Uh, You know, as I said, I've seen the good aspects of China where that um, good example is I can go out late at night. I can see families walking, enjoying their time in the park. Um, I don't I can pretty much do whatever whatever I want. But then there's that strange gray line that they never tell you about that you can't cross over. Um, And. There's there's good aspects to to a society, but within this society, the bad and the ugly just greatly overwhelms whatever good that the people have have created for themselves because of that 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 premise that 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 core belief that the state is uh, better for its people. That's that's the problem when you have a people that is. That is directed like cattle and that's what it really is they're 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 like cattle uh sheep you know where they're hoarded into one area central central thinking because you know as you know and you've been in china long enough um there's no individualism it's all about collectivism and i see even that with our school system you know the school that i teach in um and that's what frustrates me, because I see that mentality played out every day, over and over. And it's not the individual will, it's the collective will. And that collective will will always supersede, you know, the individual, always, because it's about, it, it's about what we'd call the party. Does that make sense?
1: No, yeah, Absolutely. Um, when when you are talking about this collectivism, when you are talking about individuality, when you're talking about a government that is, you know, of the people, by the people, for the people, do you think that the system that is in China is um, is one that is the way that it is because of uh, Marxism atheism, or do you think that it's the political structure itself that makes it more oppressive for the people?
0: Uh, well i here's here's i think it's twofold i you know it's it's a mixture of both they use they use marxism as as the platform the, the foundation <clears throat> but then marxism even even marx's ideals and philosophies that is then used to build for what the military for what the government you know the political aspects of uh, the Chinese Party would, would would do. I mean, what do they call it? Um, you know, uh, Chinese characteristics to Marxism. Um, that's the problem. But in in here within now, keep in mind this only be, this really truly began since 2013 when she took power. Before then there was a lot of room there was I, schools were were really beginning to be open to a western thought philosophy ideals but at that point from 2013 to present this is where we've seen the full front brutal face of marxism with chinese characteristics you know with a communist mindset where the directive is um the individual is not is not uh, you know is not important. It's the collective good overall, and I see that even currently with my students firsthand.
1: So, what is the impact for the church? What is the impact of this kind of system uh, for the Christians that you're working together with?
0: Yeah, in China, you're referring yes. to in China. Yeah, in China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a struggle, it's a struggle because you 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 see people who you know they they're they're torn because they love their country they love they love their their native land but and they believe in good government, and that's the, and see this is the problem where the China, the CCP does not understand um, and I get why they don't understand it but and of course they're not going to understand it but they they just cannot believe that christianity you know in its true form has any benefits or would benefit a nation and as we can see through the 20, you know actually from the past several centuries christianity has always benefited and flourished and those nations that embrace christianity flourished you know, as a nation, that's where democracy, our, i where our ideals came from. But in China, it's con- it's completely different. And the churches are struggling under that weight of oppression because they are being de- they are being demanded over and over again that they are to set aside their religious beliefs and follow one train of thought. And it's not Mao; it's Xi's thought. That's the significant aspect of this. He is. He, it's like one man's vision for all of China, and that's where the churches are struggling at. Not so much struggle; it's just that that's where the pressure is because they're they're trying. They want to do what's right. Every Chinese person believer, a follower of Christ, who are living in China today, they they want a good life for themselves. They want a good life, a good education for their children. They want they want a a. A productive life they want what we have in, in the West, but you have an ideology that is consistently trying to 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 guide them into a narrow scope of view and that's and that 's the biggest problem and that 's the one that frustrates me when I see believers in China, the church what i 'm referring to you know they want to do what 's right and they do believe in their country but at some point, you know, they're, they're fighting a hard time battling um, a system that is, is, is determined to eradicate their belief in their faith.
1: Yeah, I see. When, when I look at the current structure, you know, whether it's Hu Jintao, whether it's Xi Jinping, whether it's Mao Zedong, that embracement, because, you know, every Communist Party member has to sign an oath of atheism. Yeah, and yeah. that that uh, you know, Karl Marx said very clearly that atheism and communism are inseparable, and so right. by uh, leading a country down a road that denies God. I feel that it is naturally self-defeating towards their own interest, as you had said, you know, that by, by pushing away Christians, you're actually pushing away some of the best benefits that your country would be enriched from. Um, and we see this in nations that are built on the backs of Christian Judaic ideas and teachings, thoughts, and ethics. And so when you remove those into an atheist uh, point of of, of worldview, um, I think in many ways, especially when you're talking about a collective effort as we're looking at for China, you basically have certain individuals that have anti-God ideas that are anti-intellectual in many ways. I mean, I, I hate to put it that way, but every time I look at... So, for instance, when I look at China... China today, even today, their top, like Xinhua University, their top universities, their top hospitals were all started by mission groups uh, that were built on the back. And we see that in the West as well, whether it's Yale, Harvard, Oxford. um, These top educational institutions in the world were built with the idea of sending out missionaries or, or bringing about God's light to a dark area. When you persecute that when you remove or attempt to remove that you don't bring good things to your population they they naturally suffer at least that's what i've seen in history and in china i've seen exactly like what you have seen where people love their government all of the underground house church leaders that I served together with, they absolutely love their government even now. For the last two years, we've seen the most persecution that I've seen in the last two decades. And they still absolutely love and pray for their government and pray for their leaders. They're being persecuted on a, on a regular basis, but that is something that they continue to do. Just interestingly, you know, now that you're in the U.S., um, there have been primary elections. Uh, does that concern you at all that there's this there's this big push of people that feel like what they have in China is actually a good thing? Uh, what they have in China with, you know, what they would call socialism, um, they 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 feel that that does that does that uh, concern you at all? Is that is that, what kind of thoughts has that evoked? You know, watching the primaries take place right now.
0: Yeah, it 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 it, it invokes. Um, uh, with me personally, oh, could, we could we could go all day on this, but with me personally, it provo- you know it invokes. Um, uh, it just I, I'm I'm feelings of. I,
1: I I can tell from your loss of words <laughs> that Sorry. it, it evokes yeah, some sort of emotion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm behooved how people in the in, in America right now are thinking. I mean, they've got what I call stinking thinking. I mean, truly, I mean, they've to be to be quite honest, what what in the world is wrong with these with the people here in the West? I mean, I don't get it. I, let me let me explain. Let, let me here's how here I can relate to. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit frustrated. Um, let's go back to China. I've been teaching for five years. I have seen and I'm going to use foreigners who had who have the current mindset of our young people today and the people who have brought in, who have bought into democratic socialism. They come to China to teach and to do other things and the one thing that i noticed is at, when they first get to china oh they love china and it's a beautiful place you know this i mean and it's i love china i mean it's it's very beautiful it, the culture everything about it is very unique and and the people are wonderful um set aside, setting aside the obvious i would call it the elephant in the room okay um but that aside uh, it's very elaborate now when they come to China and these people have they buy into this notion, well they're socialists but they have it so good. And I'm like, Okay, give it a give it a year, give it a year. So over a course of a year we'll get in back into a conversation and I would ask these same people either either they're from either the UK, they're from Canada or they're from the US. And I'll ask them, So what do you think? You know, what do you think about this, this, and this? You know, and and I noticed that their opinions begin to change over time. Um, even though they like China, they don't like certain attributes, aspects of, of the socialist policies, and the reason is, is because sooner or later, as I warned them, when whenever people come to China, I, t- I pull them aside, and I say, listen to me. I know everything seems to be really cool here, and it seems like everything's good to go and, and Socialist ideals here, but sooner or later you 're going to come to a wall and you 're going to be able to see things as you never saw them before it 's like an onion. The more you pull back those layers, the reality begins to kick in and I found that these people, especially these young people who they who come to China with these with these same ideals that they 've learned in the university settings, begin to then question what they believed, because here's what they don't tell you in in the Chinese socialist system. You can only make certain, so much money in China as as a as a worker. Uh, I have teachers, all of our teachers who are the who are the Chinese teachers. There is a there is a dividing there's a division between the foreign teachers and the, and the Chinese teachers. Chinese teachers make considerably less. Even the ones who, have, who are degreed, certified, have, have the certificate, the government actually puts a limit on how much money you can make. And that presents a very uh, a hard impact for the people here. And then there's other things as well. Um, always constantly monitoring. So, yeah, over time the people who embrace so democratic socialism to, uh, to a degree, when they get to China and they stay one, two, maybe three years, then their attitudes begin to change because they realize what life is here, what life is in China. It's very difficult. And because it's not, it's, the, the thing of it is only 10% of of the top tier who are who are in who are operating under what you'd call state capitalism they're enjoying the benefits the wealth it's the 90 percent who are actually living in socialism within china and they don't benefit from that program so here in america i am i am completely uh, lost for words as to why you know that they think that they're going to get a better treatment than those people who are living in the socialist system in, the, in China. And I think it's just like, I feel like when I'm hearing all these people talk on the news and in in our current candidates running for president who, pro, who project that belief, um, they th- I, I think they think that they, that they can, they can keep it in check and keep it under control. But as you and I both know, you can't keep that that type of ideology check for too long because it's going to break free. And once it breaks free, there's no turning back, you know?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I under- completely see and, and agree with what you're saying. Um, what I have seen, because I always come back to the spiritual side of it, right? So when I look <laughs> at it, I see a foundation that has been set for years now in academia in the West where um, God has been forced out. And so you have the, these um, young enthusiastic individuals uh, that are, that are being educated by individuals who chase after almost every spiritual wind except for Christianity. And it, it is that spiritual side, that spiritual darkness that condemns man, I believe, to to almost like ignorance. Because I mean, anybody that is educated, and this is just me talking here, um, anybody in my mind that is educated, even in a little bit with a little bit of exposure, you're talking about, you know, those that moved to China for a little bit and have about a year of exposure in a true communist or socialist society, and then they can learn a little bit. But the truth is, is that anybody that would just pick up a book and look at Venezuela in the last 10 years or Cuba or Ethiopia during the 1990s or, uh, Laos, Vietnam, China, North Korea, East Germany. Uh, all of these nations that have the potential to be amazing economic engines end up being extremely poor and with a misery index through the roof because I believe it's the rejection of God. And so as a group of students being educated by those that deny God himself, uh, the, the the students e- embrace theories and ideas that are that have never been true, proven to be true and it reminds it's all, and so they want to uh, I, I see this desire to embrace something that is a proven failure over and over again. And it reminds me of uh, Proverbs 26, 11, where it says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. And I think that that's kind of the road that we are on whenever we deny God's word. And I, and I think that, and this is just, again, it's just me. Even if you don't believe in God's word, if you just follow God, the ideas that he teaches in his word. It can be an amazing guide for your life towards a much more uh, beneficial lifestyle. I mean, if we look at, uh, you know, compare um, uh, uh, East Germany to West Germany, when one side persecuted Christians and the other side let Christians have freedom, those that were not Christians in West Germany still benefited from those that were Christians in West Germany. Those that are not Christians in America today still benefit from those that were Christians and and built the society that they now live in. So even though they may hate Christianity with every fiber of their being, (laughs) unfortunately, they're still direct beneficiaries of an amazing system put in place by people that were blessed by God with ideas and, and concepts that were just not a part of man's natural intuition. And I think that that, that, that grace of being able to think outside of your own ability to have ideas outside of your own imagination, um, comes as a gift from God. And, uh, when you deny that, when you reject that, you reject everything that God is and you almost You know, by your very nature, end up adopting things that, I mean, we see it with Israel, right? Throughout the entire Old Testament, it's this roller coaster of pray to God, your society does really well, reject Him, pretend you did it all by yourself, and all of a sudden you're slaves, cry out to God, He shows mercy, you go back up again, (laughs) you forget about Him and curse Him and go back down again. It's just this roller coaster up and down throughout history. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn as. Christians in the West by looking at our brothers and sisters in the, in the East that are going through challenges. We pray for them. The church is booming in China. It's booming under persecution. And I believe that the country has been benefiting from the growth of Christianity that we've been seeing. But now this, this attack uh, just it, it's been really challenging to to watch and witness and, and and operate inside of. When you living in China for the last couple of years, um, in the last two years, have you seen any difference than it was with the church when you first arrived five years ago or ten years ago?
0: Yeah. Um, the, yeah. That yeah, I could speak volumes on, on just that two year change. You know, uh, under Hu Jintao, you know, we I use him as a mark uh, from 2003 to 2013, uh, when he was in power, he did not go after the church. I mean, in 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 a in a major way, the church, the Chinese house church and Christianity as a whole flourished. Under, under, his, under his rule. It flourished. We, at, we actually have you know, evidence of this. We have the numbers where that the government seen, literally took a turn away from the house church, you know, towards the church in China as a whole. And the church benefited and grew. But, when, but there's something about Xi. There's something about him. There is something about him that, when that uh, when he took power, one of the first things that he did was that he created what was called a relig- his religious policy, and that policy was to to undermine and eventually eradicate Christianity. Now, I don't have his actual code. I've got his book. I, I, because I wanted to understand the mindset of this guy who really does not have a Western education, um, who actually studied under the, the teachings and ideals of Mao Zedong. It, it was reported by one of his uh, surrogates, sure. who, those who was underneath him. Now I'm just by basically quoting what this other individual said, but it was reported that that Xi Jinping saw an image of the cross. I don't know what city he was in, but he was in some city in China and he said, I hate he hated that image. Of everything else he hated the image of the cross. Why? What is it about Xi Jinping? That that literally started that role. That that pr- began the process of developing new initiative legislative acts that would go after Christians in in a major way. And now not just Christians, but the Uyghurs, you know, the Uyghurs, the Muslims. What is it about him that he is so dedicated to eradicating Christianity or at least trying to change it to reflect more of a communist mindset? You you know, my wife, she believes that he is demon-possessed and and that there is something, there is definitely a spiritual aspect. I saw the change three years ago uh, since we're now going, we're now 2020. Currently, I'm writing a book about my work and my life as a teacher in China. And we're in discussing the, the 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 Chinese education system compared to the West and, and everything that I've seen. You know, everything from suicides. You know, I've seen it. I, like I said, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I saw the change three years ago. Um, and at that time, our school, let's just take my school, large campus, 3,000 students. My, my kids that I have, I, have a, I teach 138, 140 students per day, okay, seven blocks of, of teaching time throughout the day. Um, and I saw... A, a, an atmosphere of creativity, ingenuity. You know, you saw life in these students. You saw hope in these students. You saw these kids, you know, wanting to be like the the West, wanting to be like the UK, wanting to be Chinese, but to be proud Chinese, but be free Chinese, free to think, free to do what they wanted to do. But then, then came an initiative back in 2014, 2015, 2016. It was like every legislative act was against the church and against traditional education that would involve Western ideology. From murals in our hallway, just in our hallway of Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream, I mean, we were projecting... Believe it or not, in our school, which is a Chinese school, we we had images of Western leaders, astronauts, um, uh, Neil Armstrong. We had everything that you could think of in one in one summer. When I left and went, my wife and I went back to the U.S. to do in, our speaking engagements to rest. When we when I returned, we we returned to China, and I went back into the classroom that fall. Here's what I saw: I the, the murals were all torn down, the colors, the rainbows, everything was removed. The color red was put up. Zhou uh, uh, Enlai was 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 replacing Martin Luther King. Mao Zedong was replacing Neil Armstrong all of these communist ideals i the ideology the images of the cultural revolution it was like it was like you know i can't even put into words and i and i've been working on my book about this you know i can't even put into words truthfully how i felt when we all noticed that the big change came and it was like somebody had sucked all the life and you could see that. And and here's how I can answer your question. I was taught. I was grading, testing one of my students last year, and it, her English name, you know, Darby. And uh, of course, I'm sure she changed it by now, and she's now gone. Um, but she looked at me, and she said, "Mr. G," because they call me Mr. G. And she said, "Mr. G, uh, I'm not happy." And I said, why are you not happy? And, of course, she's 13. And she said, I don't like what this school has become. And I said, and I looked at her, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. And she began to cry. And, and I said, "I said, it's really affected you that much? And she said, yeah, because I'm leaving. And I said, I understand. And I said, how do you feel about what's happening here? And this is what got me. She said, this has become old China. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. She said, this is old China. She said, this is my grandparents' China, and I don't want to be a part of this. Now, she has now left China, and I'm understanding she's in Canada or, or in Europe today. But that gives you a sense of what we've been experiencing in just one moment under one guy, under one leader who is, who is determined to eradicate and and move China back to where, to, to the days of Mao. And I believe, and it's the only thing that makes sense, I believe it's Satan's last attempt to try to eradicate the church before the greatest revival breaks out in China. That's what I believe is happening. I believe the closer we get to to freedom, the bo- the closer we get that the Chinese church and the Chinese people will actually see freedom come is the dark is going to be the darkest period that they're in, and I think that we're seeing that now because Satan knows his time and his hold over China is is limited, and it's about ready to break. So that's how I would answer you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can. Completely see that as well. That you know, and we talk about this at the back to Jerusalem vision. And one of the things that I find very interesting with President Xi is that he basically got rid of everybody that opposed him. So the the Politburo is basically has been cleansed uh, since 2013 of anybody that so he went on this rampage of you know trying to find individuals that had that were uh, not honest uh, in the government people that had gotten rich by you know just through the government which by the way is quite interesting because Xi Jinping has only worked for the government his entire life. He's never had a real job, and yet today he is worth $1.5 billion, at least. I mean, that's that's his net worth according to most uh, researchers, but it could be even more than that. We don't know how much he actually owns, but $1.5 billion is what he has pulled in just as a government official and doing nothing but government work. Uh, and the, the the guys that wrote the book on how he amassed that wealth were authors in Hong Kong that were kidnapped from their homes. One of them, uh, one of the guys that wrote one of the books is from the country where I'm at now is in Sweden. And uh, he's still now on house arrest in uh, China because of the things that he uncovered on how President Xi got to that $1.5 billion. But... One of the things that I find interesting about him, and it's just like you said, um, there is this hardcore turn to make things uh, more. Communist strong as they were during the days of Mao Zedong. So uh, in the churches that I worked together with, the government officials wanted crosses taken down, replaced with pictures of of President Xi and Mao that uh, uh, in front of the altars, there would be these huge red banners that uh, called for love of country and country first. Um, These ideas to replace, uh, you know, Christ above all. And uh, but so on one side, we see this amazing um, uh, persecution coming uh, from President Xi. But on the other side, it's amazing how he's also paving the way because as he has as he has solidified his leadership, removed the shackles of having a two-term, five-year uh, limit on his on his leadership, now he can basically be you know a leader for as long as he wants to. Especially now that he's removed anybody that would uh, not vote for him within the Communist Party, uh, he can be you know president forever. He his main focus and goal has been on the largest economic. Uh, investment of any nation in the world, the one belt and one road, which is the same road, the same vision of the underground house church missionaries that I work with today that are leaving from China and going and preaching the gospel in other nations. In fact, uh, just today, I was on the phone with our team in Iraq. We had a, we have a team that had some personal issues and they wanted to go back to China. But uh, the One Belt, One Road economic investment makes things easier for them to stay in Iraq than to come back to China, especially now with China and their coronavirus yeah. outbreak. And so on one side, you can see that persecution kind of like the, the Romans did in the first three centuries after Christ. Um, but they, they also provided the language, the road, the economic investment for Christianity to spread you know, throughout the known world of that time. And so I, I see the enemy in so many ways attacking Christ on one side, but, but God in his omniscience already preparing for it and using it for his good. (laughs) I remember somebody told me one time that if the devil had known what the persecution and crucifixion of Christ himself would have truly meant on the cross, he would have killed anybody attempting to nail Jesus to the cross. Uh, I, I think that, yeah. um, that right now she, in his anger and his passion, his, his, you know, like you said, being evoked with, with raw emotion just by looking at the cross, um, is doing things that he thinks is hurting the church, but in the omniscience of God, that which the enemy has created as a stumbling block is being used and will be used as a stepping stone. Uh, you said you're writing a book. Um, about your life. Um, do you know when that's going to be available?
0: Uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still writing. Um, it's, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm just not in a hurry about it. I mean, it's just kind of reflection over the past five years about uh, my life as a teacher. Um, also what I've seen within the Chinese education system and how it's, how it's, been hijacked um in a in a way with uh, the I- current ideology and um you know how we went from uh exploring books to burning books so it's more of what i've seen with these within these past 5 years just just is in teaching alone, and just getting an ideal about the, the students and in the way of life for, for these students, and and the hardships that they go through, and um, you know their struggle to to you know the gaokao and and the pressures of trying to get a good grade for the gaokao, the pass, and and allows them to to leave China and, and get a good uh, good have a good life outside of China. So it's kind of more my reflection. Of uh, a little bit about um, a little bit about what we that my wife and I have done in China, but more about what I've seen academically. Uh, keeping that in that context, and um, yeah, so we'll see how it all develops. And I'm I'm still like in my third or fourth chapter. I'm in, I'm no big hurry. I don't know where this is going, but uh, we're just kind of going through this slowly, you know.
1: So, uh, let me ask this: um, Are you yeah. are you fully supported as a as a teacher, or do you raise funds uh, to live in China?
0: Well, my wife and I own a house in China. Um, so we do have a house i you know i've i 'm one of the few foreigners that in our province at least uh, you know that i have a I have a car an s u v and I have a chinese driver 's license and so uh we 're kind of financially stable. I get paid to do what i do in in China as a teacher um and th- so that's really benefited us but we also do get uh we do have a few supporters that support our 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 main mission our main ideal our main goal uh, in china so that does help um and that does you know it does alleviate a lot of things because we have uh our orphanages our house churches we've established what 14 14 house churches just in our province alone um so but with because of the situation for the last 2 3 years um things have you know drastically changed um that came to a forefront 2 years ago in december when when um i was accosted by the police by the chinese police um, where i saw my friends taken away so um it's it's been it's it's Two years ago was the reality for me uh, as, a, as a Christian and um, living in China. Um, it was, yeah, I, I've lost a lot of friends, personal friends. So uh,
1: Let me, the, the reason I ask is because I wanted to know, is there a place where if people are wanted to know more about you, wanted to learn more about you, uh, wanted to support you guys in some way, is there a place or do you guys have that kind of setup that people could go to to find out more?
0: Yeah, it's uh, www.chinamissions.org. Um, everything there um, is, it can be read about us. Um, and the website's been up for about five years now. Um, and so we kind of, I don't update it too much because, oh, two years ago, that's when everything, a lot of my trouble began. Um, I'm constantly monitoring and constantly watched. Actually, the police. They call They call my wife about once every two weeks, even here in the U.S., wanting to know where I'm at, uh, my locale. Um, they actually pay. Now, check this out. They pay. They went to our house when we were in the U.S. over the summer. They pay local residents monthly to watch me, to monitor me. And if I do any type of hint of... Any type of what you would call influence with Christianity or anything of that nature, they report back to the police um, because we were, we were informed of this. So, um, so I'm constantly monitored. So I, I say that to say this, that our website <clears throat> was flagged by the Chinese government and so it was now china there's china aid there's open door and there's china missions so um th- you know my my face uh, i think i think maybe one or two but but really you don't see a lot of me you just see a lot of the work that we do so i try to i try to be secret enough and to to kind of use use wisdom in this area because as i said 2 years ago it really came to a forefront where where my wife was arrested um and so you know we've had uh, our friends were were beaten um i was surrounded by the secret police um in uh, two years ago december when we were with about 14 pastors and believers and uh, it was not good so yeah so that's kind of my life right now
1: okay well uh, I really want to thank you for coming on and joining us I I, I really appreciate the time hanging out and just chatting especially about you sure. know your time in China and the, the coronavirus outbreak and the political situation and how that impacts the church. If you are listening to this podcast and you want to know more, you can go to Chinamissions.org. Chinamissions.org. You can go on to his website. Uh, Christopher has some things there that shares more details about the ministry of he and his family and what they're doing inside of China. Thank you so much, brother. Really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate the time and and thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, God bless you. Uh, Thank you. Bye-bye. And I want to thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.